looking at a section that I have entitled The True Pastor, chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. If you would, please follow in the reading of the Word of the Lord. Beginning in verse 12, chapter 12. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not become a burden to you? Forgive me this wrong. Here, for this third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you. For I do not seek what is yours, but you... For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But be that as it may, I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. Certainly, I have not taken advantage of you through any of those whom I have sent to you, have I? I urged Titus to go. I sent the brother with him. Titus did not take advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? All of this time, you have been thinking that we were defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding Beloved, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this man who set the path before us. Lord, I thank you that your love for your church, that you sent your son to die, that he would have a bride, a holy and pure bride. Thank you, my King, my Lord, my Savior, for the amazing things that you have done. And Father, as we look at concerns of a true pastor, Father, I hope you open our eyes that we may understand the desperation of the time, and yet, Father, also understand we've been warned, and we have been warned throughout the ages. Help us, my King, to hear your words, to hear your spirit, Father, to drink deep of the heavenlies. In Christ's name, amen. We started into this text last week. I kind of laid a foundation because if you take a 100 Christians and you ask them, Define for me a true pastor, you probably get a hundred answers, and I'm not sure you'd ever get a right one. Okay? But you could get, uh, I have a lot of people who tell me a lot of things that I should be doing, but as I look at scripture, God understands that pastors are very feeble, and so He keeps it to a minimum. I like that about my Lord. He doesn't overwhelm me with responsibilities. He says, I have two things that I need you to do. And I need you to be faithful to these two things until you're done. When I look at the Apostle Paul and I think about the Lord calling him and the Lord telling him personally, you will suffer much for me. Now, that's I remember one time I had to go in for a thing that I was dealing with that had to go into an emergency room and I was laying on my belly and this doctor was working on my back and I learned a very valuable thing. The doctor got ready, had all these tools laying there, and, and I'm laying there with my shirt off. And he looks me over and he looks at me and says, this is really going to hurt. Okay, now when a doctor tells you that, you better be grabbing a hold of something. Okay, because he has that defined. 
And you know what? He was right. I just about bent the stainless steel in two. Now then, if the Lord says to you, you are going to suffer greatly for me, you better believe it. Okay? And, and you might want to get detail. Can you give me detail on this? <laughs> okay? Now, here's one of the things that I have watched. The Apostle Paul in this letter, everything he does, he contrasts. Because what had happened in this church, he had moved on. And false teachers had come in behind him and were trying to discredit his character. Because see, if I discredit his character, then I can discredit his message. And one of the things they did that they would say about the Apostle Paul is that if he was really doing what Jesus wants him to do, why is he suffering so much? Why is all of this bad stuff happening to him? Okay, but one of the things that you we miss today is that if a man is suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ, is that right? Sure. You know why I say that? False don't suffer. And I'll show you this. Because Paul had a concerns. And if you look at the Apostle Paul, I don't care what letter he's writing. I don't care where he's at in his ministry. His concerns never changed. You get, a, you look on the back of your bulletin, you see five points there. And those are his five concerns. You are not going to move him off of these five. At all. All right. He ain't worried about his creativity in his ministry. All right. He isn't worried about who's leading, whether it's contemporary music or traditional music. That is not his concern. Okay. His concern was to be faithful, to be sacrificial, to be honest, to be reverent and to be edifying to the body. That was it. He is not going to change that. All right. And when I look at true pastors, I there ain't a pastor you run into will say I'm in it for the numbers. And yet everything that they do is for the numbers. Okay, listen, I am not going to walk into a community and do a demographic study to see if it can support a church. Paul never did that. I mean, if you go look at the Corinthian culture, that's one of those places you don't want to step foot in. And yet God took him there. They used to have a, a verb, Corinthianized, when it mean to be promiscuous. Socrates writing about Corinth says it was his favorite vacation city. Because bare-chested women ran around spearing pigs and climbing poles. I don't even know what that means. Okay? But, but I share that with you because that was the city God birthed the church. A church that was lacking in no spiritual gift. And sure enough, as soon as Paul left, what happened? Just like he told the Ephesians, when I leave, ravenous wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. Okay? So, back to verse 12. He shows us that he had the signs of a true apostle were performed. We looked at that at last section. All right? But he says, were performed among you with all perseverance. When I look at the world, is the pastor faithful to the calling? Is the pastor faithful to the calling? I heard a pastor here in town tell me the other day. Well, it's been a while. 
He says, well, doctrine is just so boring. Really? I said, have you not read? <laughs> okay. I mean, that's you just shake your head and you're like, well, why are you doing this then? I, you know, I, that's, you know, well, I just don't want to share. I don't read anything that's controversial. He says, because there's so much controversy in our society. Why would I teach something controversial? I said, have you ever read the Gospels? I mean, they killed him. I mean, he's kind of on the controversial side. I don't understand some of this. I mean, you you sit there and go, should you maybe find another line of work? Because the Apostle Paul says here that he did it with all perseverance. See, unlike the false teachers, what do they seek? I call it the name and fame. Let me publish a book. It's funny. Everybody's wanting to publish a book. I mean, everybody, every pastor I talk to in this town is wanting to publish a book or has already published a book. And I'm like, wow, cool. (laughs) And they said, "Uh, Terry, have you ever thought about publishing a book? I said, I could do a coloring book. Uh, I've had some people who tried to transcribe some of my sermons and my study notes. And they said, no, don't ever write a book. (laughs) Okay. They want wealth. They want power. They want the worldly things. They want the accolades. They want the attaboys. But Paul, his goal was to be faithful to his Lord. You know what I call that? Loyalty. Loyalty. No matter what the cost, I will be faithful to my Lord. He performed the signs and the wonders of an apostle. But you know what? He did them with all perseverance. With all perseverance. Because he would even do it with opposition. If there was people opposing him, he never stopped. Even if there was hostility towards him. Even if there was persecution, imprisonment. Because the world is lost. And they don't want to hear that they're lost. It's, it's, it's like men, don't ask for directions. Well, are you lost? No. Well, how's come you're not lost? You know, I, I remember here in Colorado, west is the mountains. You know it, okay? You know what happens when you get to Los Angeles? You end up in the ocean, okay? I mean, you know, the mountains are over there. That's got to be east, all right? And that's the way men are. Why? I look for the mountains. I was down in North Carolina. They ain't any. So you're sitting there going, well, how are we supposed to go anywhere? The word that you see there is that he was dealing with is that he was faithful. The word is hopomene. Okay. Um, we translate it sometimes patience. We translate it sometimes perseverance. The word literally means to remain under. The apostle Paul remained under it. And he continued. Remember, this is the guy who preached the gospel in a town. In a city and was stoned for preaching the gospel. They drug him out and threw him on a pile of manure. When he regained consciousness, 
Hopomene says, I go back in and continue preaching. Why? Because God has not moved me. I am to continue preaching here. Now, how many is going to do that? But see, his focus was, I am faithful to where the Lord has put me. The, re- the fruit is not my responsibility. The numbers is not my responsibility. My responsibility is to be faithful to what the king has called me to do. Regardless of what the world says. Paul endured the pressures of worldly conflict. Paul endured worldly opposition. Paul endured it for his entire ministry. It was unrelenting. Early in this letter, chapter 1, verse 6, he says, But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and your salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings that we also suffer. The world hated Christ. What are they going to do to you? Well, if you are faithful to Christ, guess what? They're not going to care much for you. Chapter 6, verse 4 of this same letter. In everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in affliction, in hardship, in distress, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, and in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and genuine love. It's a war. It's a war. And he would persevere. He would continue on. You were not going to dissuade him. Now, and I find this fascinating because he starts it off in this letter this way. But if you remember, I want to share with you a text that is is fascinating to me. Chapter 5, verse 3 of the letter to the Romans. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about, guess what word is? Hupomene, perseverance, patience. Now then, you know what's fascinating about that text right there in Romans? He is on his third trip back to Corinth when he writes the letters to Romans. Okay, so he's already telling them, dude, I've already done this. I got merit badges in this suffering thing. Why? Because it produces a greater faithfulness. The Lord told his apostles in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John chapter 15. This is called the Upper Room Discourse. This is his last meeting. He's just done the Lord's table with his boys. And he's, this is his last meeting. And he's getting ready to tell them, here's what's going to happen. Okay, but you've been warned this is going to be good. You're going to get it. All right. Chapter 15, verse 18, he says this. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Did you hear what he just said there? Why do we miss that? If you were of the world, the world would what? Love its own. That should make some pastors nervous. I mean, if the world loves you, guess what? You're, you're, in, you're on the wrong side. 
You know, I don't care what you call yourself. Okay, but if the world loves a, a, a godly person, there's something wrong there. There's a disconnect. I don't, know, I don't know how that fits. And yet I watch the church today wants to be just like the world. I had a pastor look me straight in the eye and say, what we do differently than you is that we turn the lights down low and the music up loud. Well, I used to do that in the bars. But I didn't ever see anybody with a Bible. Because in the dark, you can't read it. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Why would I want to be like the world? Paul remained faithful to what he had been asked. In John's Gospel, the 21st chapter... This is the end of the book. 21, 18, and 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, he's speaking to Peter. Okay, He's reestablished Peter. Peter denied him three times. He asked him three times, do you love me? All right. Then he tells Peter this. Truly, truly. That word there is amen, amen. Okay. I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself up and walk wherever you wish. And when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. This he said, signifying the kind of death that would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. Paul, like the other twelve. He ministered under constant suffering, relentless persecution, and it never stopped. Why? Because he was faithful to what he had been called to. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, he says, I die daily. Paul lived every day knowing it could be his last. And I'll just give you a bunch of of verses in the book of Acts. You can go look them up. Acts chapter 17, 5 to 9. Acts chapter 19, 23 to 41. Acts chapter 20, verse 19. What you will see, his enemies was everybody. It was mobs of Gentiles. It was mobs of Jews. It was royalty of Gentiles. It was leadership of Jews. They all had a focus on stopping this man. He gives some details of this early in this letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercy and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. Did you hear what he just said? They are ours in abundance. So also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and your salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is 
effective and patient enduring of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction. And it came to us in Asia. We were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even for life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Paul never went anywhere where he was welcomed. Do you understand that? When he shared the gospel, people did not want to hear it. What has happened? What has happened? Well, the church has become like the world, and the world loves it. So how do, how do you confront sin? We just partook of the Lord's table. You know what that was for? I've talked to people who, quote, unquote, tell me they're saved. They said, I'm saved. And I said, what were you saved from? What? What were you saved from? Well, well, I don't know what you mean. I rest my case. If you don't even know what you're saved from, how are you saved? Paul understood it completely. That any moment could be his last moment. See, God's true spokesman will always, always, always be faced with opposition. They will always face hostility. I can go back a few years. Two of my favorite men of God. Which today, I would like to know how our model for church success, how would you rank these two gentlemen? The first one is Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 17 through 19. Now gird up your loins and arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before them, or I will dismay you before them. Now behold, I have made you today as a fortified city. God speaking to Jeremiah, you are a fortified city and as a pillar of iron and the walls of bronze against the whole land and the kings of Judah to its princes, to its priests and to the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. You know what? Jeremiah never backed down. Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 6. And you, son of man, neither fear them, nor fear their words. Those thistles and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Neither fear their words, nor be dismayed at their presence. For they are a rebellious house. Wow, those are Old Testament prophets. You know, that's Old Testament prophet guys. All right, let me give you this one. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. No man born of woman 
is greater than John the Baptist. That's what Jesus said. Then chapter 14, verse 3, this great man of God, no man has ever been greater, is imprisoned for calling his king an adulterer, which he was. Chapter 14, verse 10, they have his head removed, served up on a silver tray. Persecution accompanies the preaching of the Word of God. Please understand that. And you say, no, no, no. Really? Really? You don't think it doesn't stand up in this country? Then preach it. Share it. Unwavering in the power of the Holy Spirit. And duck. Because every time I've done it, we do invocations for the town of Castle Rock. Every pastor in the, in the town gets a crack at it. Okay? And so I get my shot at it. All right? I go in and I pray. Okay? You know what? I pray very general. My Father who, who is holy, who is in heaven. I pray for the politicians. I pray for wisdom. I pray for those who have protection over us, firemen, EMTs, paramedics, policemen, and all the things that they have to do. And then here's where I offended. In Christ's precious name, I pray. I got him the first time. But then the next time I prayed, I said, In Jesus Christ's precious name, I prayed. Okay? And they came to me. You know, we have Jews in the crowd. So? Well, how can you say that? Well, who do you want me to pray to? It's a simple question. You want me to pray to Buddha? Get the Buddhist dude to do it. Okay? How's come you can pray to Buddha or Allah and nobody gets mad? But if I pray to Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, I'm this evil man? Wait till you see him. Listen, the reason that the persecution comes, two, two main reasons. The first one we looked at, the purposes of God's suffering. God, God sovereignly will bring his purposes to test the preacher for what? His faithfulness. Or to break his pride. You ain't going to believe this. Pastors are not immune to pride. So God at times will humble them. Why? Because that will take the true servant of God and draw him closer to God himself. That's verses 7 to 10 of chapter 12. Okay, there's the second reason that you will be persecuted for preaching of the gospel. Why? It comes from an evil world system. A world system that is absolutely opposed to God in every aspect, yet is allowed by God. Here's the thing that I have learned. The word of God, when preached, exposes sin and it judges it. And that always makes everybody happy. Those who proclaim the word of God will face the hostility of the world. Because see, what man wants to do is man wants to be the person who decides what is sin. All right. And he does this in a myriad of ways. 
usually through his own religion. Or he will say, there is no God. Therefore, I can decide what is right or what is wrong. All right. All of a sudden, you got a guy comes walking up saying, I got this book here. And this book says what you're doing is against the most holy God and he will judge. Then everybody just gets happy. I, you, you know what? I have people who come to me, they, they say they're Christians, and here's the first thing that they want to tell me. When can a Christian divorce? Really? That's what they always ask me. When can a Christian divorce? And I said, well, I tell you what, I want you to read a book out of the Bible, this one book I know, and when you get done reading that, you come back and ask me the same question. And they said, well, what book is that? And I said, Hosea. Okay, and if you haven't read Hosea, you do not understand that. If you read Hosea, you're like, oh, gee. <laughs> okay. These are the kinds of things I want you to think about. Because why does God show these things? Listen, for one thing, Satan is behind the world system. I don't care what it is. Listen, Satan's religion is not Satanism. I think those people embarrassing. Okay. Satan's religion is humanism. All right. You can fix it if you've got the right information. Okay. Or the, the one that everybody's used for out creation. It wasn't my fault. You know, it was the snake. It was the woman. It was, uh, you know, figure out whatever you want to call it. Satan is behind this system and he is opposed to God at every turn. Okay? He is here to oppress the church and he works unceasingly to destroy it. All right? If you strike down the shepherd, what do you do? Scatter the flock. Zechariah 13 verse 7 and Jesus quotes it in Matthew 26 verse 31. Why? That's the contrast. False teachers, false prophets, false apostles do not and never have faced any opposition. Never have. You know why? They don't preach truth. We are in a day and an age. I've listened to pastors who consider themselves conservative who say, I call it the, <laughs> the hermeneutics of humility. Okay, and they'll just smile at you and say, this is the word of God and we can't really know what it means. So why did he give it to us? What is it, a Scrabble game? What are we, what are we, how are we supposed to use this? I gotta be honest with you, I have never really found anything that was complicated. I'm not the brightest bulb in the package. And if it's not complicated, now you've got to read the whole thing. I know the whole, what a trauma. But I've never had any problem reading the whole thing. I mean, he gives you one tool. Use the tool. They will not preach truth. They uh, are deceitful. They are liars. And you know what? What I've learned... The world welcomes them enthusiastically. You ever notice that? In my lifespan of voting, uh, when I first started voting, 
There was no such thing as a spin doctor. If the guy said something, you knew what he said. Now people say something, then you got 22 different people telling you what he's supposed to. Wow, this is what they really meant. Well, then why didn't they say that? Okay, because that's deceit. All right, and we just smile. Oh, yeah, I understood it. You know what? What are we going to do when the pulpit starts having spin doctors? Let me tell you what he really meant. Now, I have had people tell me things that they heard in my sermons that I have no idea how they got that. <laughs> but uh, you were asleep through part of it, weren't you? <laughs> Listen, the world welcomes it. The lies enthusiastically. Listen, those who are false are part of the world system. They will not be persecuted by Satan because technically they serve Satan. Okay, Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, verse 23, spoke of a divided house. How can it stand? See, Satan loves false teachers. Satan loves false preachers. They're telling you that you're going to go to heaven as they lead you down the broad path. The true pastor proclaims truth. The true pastor is calling for change. You know what we call that word? We love that word. Repentance. Unbelievers see all of that as enemies. And they hate those who bring that message of truth and light. Have you ever been in the dark? I mean, it's dark. And then somebody shines a flashlight in your face. What is your first response? Gee, thanks. I couldn't see. It's not your first response. It's usually, where's something to throw when you need it? I could knock that light out. All right. First John chapter three, verse 13. The world hates truth and light. Truth shows me my error. Light hurts my eyes because man loves darkness. It's a, it's a difficult place, brothers and sisters, because we're in a time. Uh, Paul warned Timothy that at the end of the age, as, as the end was drawing near, that, quote unquote, churches would heap to themselves teachers that tickled their ears. All right. They don't want to be confronted. They don't want to be called to repentance. You know what's scary about that text? That there's enough of them out there that they can heap them up. And we're not paying attention to that. We like nice guys. That's a, he's a nice guy. Okay. He, he's a, he speaks well. In Luke's gospel, chapter six, verse 22, blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you. And scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Basically, preachers are hated solely for the cause of Christ. Okay, not for wrongdoing. Preaching of the gospel must be the only offense of the pastor. The Apostle Paul shares this a lot because Paul was always being accused of 
illicit things. Chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, verse 12. For our proud confidence is this testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the peace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. There was nothing there you could accuse him of. Chapter 6 of this same letter, verse 3, giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. Chapter 8 of the same letter, verse 20, taking precautions so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gifts. You see him defend himself and his honor in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12, and 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 32 and 33. God's true servants realize that the world... Now, I, I, I need you to understand this. God's true servants realize that the world has nothing to offer them. There's nothing there. The only thing that has lasting value is God's eternal rewards. And I ask you, if you're looking for a church, look at the pastor and see what their value is. See what their value is. Jesus told his followers in Matthew's gospel, chapter 5. You've heard this many, many times. Verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Paul told us that even he told Timothy at the end of his life, they first hated me. The writer of Hebrews says, God is a rewarder of those who seek him. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Listen, the false always are after earthly rewards. You can see it. You know what they're motivated by. The true are always faithful for the heavenly rewards. Paul was determined to remain loyal to his calling. And you know what? It did not matter the hostility. It didn't matter if people hated him. It didn't matter if they wanted him dead. It didn't matter they falsely accused him. As long as the testimony of Jesus Christ went before him. That was his only passion. He could care less. Absolutely could care less. Too many in the body of Christ today are worried about how people view them. Why? Why? I mean, I had people, I, I, since I have been a pastor, I have always, when it came to the Sunday morning worship, I always wore a jacket and a tie, or a suit and tie. I have people make fun of me in that now. Why do you wear that? You know what I do? I smile at them and say, because I can. All right, well, everybody else is casual. So? You know, I've always wanted to wear a suit and tie. But when you were building houses, you looked stupid. 
Okay? I don't do that anymore, so, hey, I'm going to wear a suit and tie. I mean, I'm wearing my jeans this morning because I had a, uh, what did they call that? Wardrobe malfunction with my dress pants. <laughs> and I, did, I didn't want to distract you. <laughs> Doing this all the time. <laughs> okay? So, I mean, I wore these over. I rode my motorcycle this morning. So I wore my jeans over and I changed clothes and my britches said, nope. <laughs> and you're like, well, there you go. <laughs> so, but I don't have my chaps on because I, I knew that that would drive some people nuts. Okay. Paul was determined that he was going to stay on focus. Why? This is what I'm going to do. I will be faithful to what my king has called me to. Paul had made the statement, and there's a verse that you have seen multiple times. I want to take you back to it. Chapter 4 of this first letter, verse 17. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparisons. I like that. I like that a lot. All right? Why? You suffer for Christ. Listen, if you do wrong and you suffer for it, you deserve it. But if you suffer for Christ, you are looking at an eternal reward that you can't compare. A true pastor, a true pastor, his first concern is for faithfulness. We'll move on next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your perseverance with us. Your patience with us. You who are not bound by time are patient. Father, I beg you, help us to understand faithfulness to the eternal things. And Father, we are just passing through the temporal things. May we see Paul as an apostle. Yes, Lord. But Father, also as the perfect pastor, help us, Lord, help me, Lord, to shepherd as Paul shepherd. I beg you, Christ's name, amen.